Okay, good evening, fellow inertial observers. I am here with my good friend, Bobby Knight. Um, some of you on Twitter may know him as Knighton underscore Bob. That's um, me. He is a PhD uh, physics student at, let me see if I get this right, École Polytechnique Fédérale de Zurich. Oh, you're using the French name. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, also known as the Zurich Federal Polytechnic Institute. Just ETH. ETH. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to sound fancy here at Physics yeah, the, After the Hours. The problem is the school has like names in four languages because Switzerland has to be extra. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, no, but I looked it up on Yelp and it has 4.8 stars, so that's got to count for something. Ah. They make good coffee, <laughs> so okay, so um, the point being is that it is very early, um, Bobby Knighton, right now. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I want to correct you by saying good morning and yeah, not good evening. <laughs> please do, please do. Yeah, no, um, but I just want to say thank you for coming on uh, at such an early hour. Um, yeah. Um, I don't think I've been up this early since uh, since high school, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope, you know, that it's uh, definitely worth it. And uh, I am someone reasonable, um, uh, someone worthy, I guess, of getting up early for. Um, but perfect. Oh, you're not, but it's okay. Oh, wow. Okay, Bobby not Shots fired. Wow. <laughs> Hold up. Okay, you got the Owen Wilson wow for that one, by the way. Oh, nice. Cool. Um Perfect. Okay. So, um, Bobby Knighton, um, do you go by Bobby? No, just Bob. Fuck. Okay. Um, Bob. All right. Let's see. Uh, so Bobby since I was like 12. Okay. Well, you know, we all aspire for youth. Um, we all have a past. (laughs) We all have a past. I like it. Um, uh, PhD is in string theory. Uh, yeah. Okay. And what year PhD student are you? Uh, I just started, so I'm in the first year. But the European system is a little bit different, as right. some people watching might know. So uh, in Europe, usually you do a master's degree for like one wow. or two years, and then uh, a three or four year PhD. I see. So and you so got I your did my master's. one year of masters, and now I'm doing my one year or my first year of PhD. Okay. So did you get your masters in Europe also? Yeah, I, I went to uh, a university in France for my masters. Oh, okay. Right on. Right on. So you just like hate being in America, I guess. Um, I think America hates me being there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in your defense, uh, you are from Oklahoma, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> this, this is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. So at any rate, um, so the format for this is um, the same as usual for people who usually, you know, tune in. Uh, if you have any questions about string theory um, or supersymmetry, we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, we're both... You know, PhD, so keep in mind that we may not know the answer entirely, but we'll tell you that we don't know. Yeah, um, it's important to say I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think that's one of the best skills you can learn as a scientist. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Probably as a person in general. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. It makes for happy happy times, happy marriage, all that kind of Knowing stuff. Knowing things is far too overrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the pleasure of finding out. Um, okay, so here we are. Um I guess I'll get the ball rolling here and just uh, if you can or to your best abilities um, kind of give us a short synopsis of 
the motivation for string theory kind of, I mean, it can be historical, it can be this or that, you know, but just kind of how and why we felt inclined to come up with such a thing. And if you can just kind of go over kind of what that is. Yeah, so the the modern uses of string theory is, is very different from its historical beginnings. Mm-hmm. Um, so string theory really started as a way to describe uh, the strong nuclear force, um, which it failed spectacularly at doing. Um, and is that about like the, the idea like the flux tubes and things like that? And there's these... Yeah, so the essential idea was that you have a quark and you have a quark and there's some physical string connecting them. Mm. And people liked this idea because when I pull a string... I get some energy that's proportional to the length that I pull it to. Right, right. Like that length times the tension. And that sort of like linear potential is what people in in nuclear physics really liked because it means that your quarks are bound together. Right. And that um, and, and that linear potential term um, is completely uh, in that linear potential term uh, in the uh, quark Lagrangian between you know two quarks is completely non-perturbative it's experimental fact. oh yeah no you, you can't derive this non-perturbatively right um you can in some toy models using certain simplified things from string theory but i guess i meant that... in the standard model <laughs> like in the standard model it's just an experimental fact yeah yeah um yeah we have a very poor understanding of why confinement happens yeah uh in in which is unfortunate because that was one of the things that you know this this string idea just described naturally Mm. um but people gave up on it because when they realized okay if i want to make this thing relativistic so i i I don't just have a classical string i have a string that obeys uh einstein's special relativity Mm. then i get this particle that looks really weird it has spin two uh it and Mm -hmm. you know that's a really bad feature for qcd but I think a few years later, people realized that's a really good feature for gravity. Right. Yeah. No. That's. Uh. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, and, and that's one of the remarkable facts that I I learned about uh, this kind of accidental. Like people were trying to get rid of it. It was a bug, not a feature, for so long, um, until people were saying this this theory, this mathematics, is telling you that you need to include this spin two particle, and it turns out that that's kind of what a graviton would look like or maybe not yeah it's yeah it's completely required by consistency of the theory which is crazy um and so i think a more modern understanding of string theory goes a little bit something like what you'd hear in a pbs special uh Mm. which is that so in our in our usual we think of particles as just like point objects right and this causes a lot of problems in particular because when you have things that naturally have you know that are infinitely small. Mm-hmm. Once you try to probe really small distance scales, you run into a lot of problems. Right, and in so, so and so, in some sense, maybe like like this kind of roadblock was built into the construction of the theory to begin with of the point particles. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry, I didn't um, mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, and 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 famously, uh, when I when I try to combine uh, general relativity, so you know our best understanding of what gravity is at a classical mm-hmm. level. Uh, with with tools from quantum field theory that very famously just does not work at small distances right right um but then string theory basically works by saying okay well what if my particle has just a little bit of length Mm -hmm. it can either just be like a string or it can close up on itself whatever what if it just has a little bit of length right and naturally that means you have sort of like this natural length scale at Mm. which once you probe far enough things no longer look like particles you no longer have these like short distance problems that plague quantum field theory. I see. 
And so, and, and so one of those, and so it was kind of, instead of in some sense dividing by zero, was it just dividing by a really, really small distance scale that, that was being replaced? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a, because that's the one over the distance. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because like one over distance is in natural units, an energy scale. And if you can give Mm -hmm. yourself a fundamental scale, you know, I mean, I mean, that you can probe, then we know how to do that. Just smash things together, you know, at higher and higher energies, and eventually you'll see some new physics. Yeah, it's like how if you're doing renormalization calculations, you always have these, like, upper limit energy things that then you eventually take to infinity. Mm. And then string theory sort of gives you a natural upper limit that is right. supposed to be physically realized. And what is that upper limit? Is that the the, the, the string length, one of the string length? Yeah, and okay. the string length is probably comparable to the Planck length, but it's... Okay, so essentially the Planck, like the the quantum gravity scale. Interesting, interesting. This is all so fascinating. I love talking about string theory. I don't know much about it, but I love it. Okay. Um, oh, so... me neither. So, <laughs> um, so uh, oh, we the got... sun's out. That's cool. <laughs> oh no, got to drink the bourbon before the sun comes out, so it's not dangerous. Oh, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's graduate to the adult stuff. Yes. Oh man, to be in Europe. Uh, I mean, I I have to I have work in like two hours, but whatever. Wow. <laughs> hey man, it's okay. People, you have like a drink at lunch, anyways. So man, he is Bobby Knight, ladies and gentlemen. He is feeling it. Love it. Okay, so we got a couple questions here in the comments. <clears throat> the first one. Okay, is, that was fast. Yeah. Um. The first one is by. Mohammed uh, Chama, he says, what are your thoughts on the ANITA, all capital letters, particles from Antarctica? Um, particles through the Earth, it seems. I don't know anything about this. I've never heard of the ANITA I also particles. have never heard of this. Yeah, so... Um, um, <laughs> I have no thoughts. Uh. <laughs> okay, fair enough. How was this spelled? Anita, A N I T A. Okay. It's my yeah. aunt's name, so I don't know. She, I, I bet she's a wonderful woman. Yeah, she's not a particle physicist, though, so uh, <laughs> probably not named after her. Fair enough. Okay, so we got Drake, uh, sorry, Jake Friedman, 21, um, says, as an undergraduate studying physics, applying to physics PhD programs, how can I try to pierce into the literature on string theory? to gauge haha my interest given that it's so esoteric a subject i think we can abstract this question to make it so much more useful to you know a bunch of people and saying how when i'm applying to phd programs can i express my interest in a subject without you know that a certain professor or somebody's working on without sound sounding like i just googled it or something you yeah know? and this is a really hard problem yeah no um, you're absolutely right because I think maybe a hundred years ago, this is a little bit easier because maybe the gap between undergraduate physics and research level physics was a lot smaller, but right. that gap is huge now. Oh um, yeah. I mean, obviously it's bigger in some field than others, um, in, in sort of like observational fields, maybe that's a much smaller gap because what you need to learn is observational techniques, but, right. uh, at least in theoretical fields, that gap is huge. And yeah, no, so I, I think I, I the, the essence of the question is how 
do you break that gap in an application or when you're first contacting someone? And the answer is, I do not know. Yeah, no, I, I don't have any silver bullets either. But I would say if there is somebody at your university, a professor or otherwise studying these things, you know, go to them and say, hey, I want to go here. I don't know enough about any of this, but I just, you know, at the end of the day, I want to sound intelligent. And can you at least condense this for me in a way that I understand right now so I can decide if I'm interested in it? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, just as a general tool of advice, if you're an undergrad, your professors are one of the best tools you have. 100%, and a yeah. lot of people underutilize them. Like, uh, you know, they're not just there to teach your classes and grade your homework assignments and grade your exams. They're also there for advice like this. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so, you know, talk to one of your professors uh, or maybe your advisor first, say, I'm interested in this and perhaps mm -hmm. he or she can point you to the right professor to talk to. Yeah. Okay. Um, Steven Rapolet wants to know what you got drinking. Uh, okay. So right now I have coffee from my R2D2 mug. Oh, okay. Um, because it is just before seven in the morning. Uh, which now that I say it doesn't sound super early to, you know, normal functioning adults, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, it is quite early for me. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's pretty early. In, in the other glass, I've got some bourbon, uh, four roses sponsored. Oh, there you go. Never do, my, my, my grandfather told me never advertise anything for free. So I have to edit that out. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, unfortunately, uh, I can't find very good bourbon in Europe. Oh, really? It's not a thing there? It's just a sad time. Oh, I see. It has to be imported, and so it's expensive. Mm, I see. Um, Jack Daniels is kind of considered fancy alcohol here, <laughs> which is the funniest thing in the world to me. Because, <laughs> you know, in the U.S., Jack Daniels is considered, like, the thing you get drunk on, like, as cheaply as possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, like, not so cheap that it's, like, Kentucky Mike or whatever the hell. <laughs> like, no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, not so cheap that you're just, like, drinking Everclear. But, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. And so here it goes for, like, I think more than $30 a bottle. Wow. It's ridiculous. Is that yeah. is that 30 chips a bottle or are you converting for us? Uh, the dollar and the Swiss franc are roughly Pretty the close. same okay. these days. Yeah. Fair enough. Um the the Swiss the Swiss franc has uh, I think what is it, the hundred has uh, Leonard Euler on it right? Uh, maybe I don't know. I'm not rich. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't remember either. The um, two hundred has CERN on it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, and, I remember uh, seeing the, that. I didn't know. Yeah. It's it's a really beautiful note on the other. So one side has like a you know a, a really artistic depiction of like a collision event at CERN. Yeah. yeah. The other side has like some random stupid stuff like the right hand rule on it. <laughs> oh i've seen that <laughs> yeah it looks really dumb uh <laughs> i hope whoever designed it got fired and <laughs> <laughs> well whoever designed that side got fired maybe hopefully yeah the other side looks gorgeous um that's amazing yeah, maybe euler uh is on the coin because he he was swiss yeah no that's awesome yeah he was he was born in basel yeah yeah uh yeah or was he born in basel or i know that's the basel problem yeah, I think it was named the Basel problem after he solved it because of his hometown. Oh, I didn't know that. I could be talking out of my ass, though. Fair enough. I do that. <laughs> we will, we will um, present that caveat. Um, so Stephanie Wright is 
um, chiming in by telling us that ANITA stands for Antarctic Impulsive Transient Antenna. That's not helping me. No, I <laughs> I just want to preface everything by saying that I am so misfield. <laughs> yeah, no, um, we, I mean, we're doing our best. I mean, Bobby, of course, is being a modest scientist, but that's fair. You know, he's just, he's just absolving himself of any potentially slightly wrong things you could say. But there we go. Yeah, and that's okay. You are always forgiven here on at Physics After Hours with Inertial Observer. We'll drink to that. Okay. Physics um, before hours? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What are you at? Yeah, you're definitely physics before hours. Okay. Or it's really after hours. And yeah, this is nightcap. <laughs> I mean, maybe I've just been drinking all night. You don't know. You don't I know don't me. know. I don't know. Okay, so we got Maximilio LaBay. Um, he says, I have heard that supersymmetry beauty is overestimated because the ways uh, because the ways to break it are ugly and it must be a broken symmetry. Can you explain this better? Um, I, I That feels like a fallacy to me. Yeah, you know, I agree. Because, I mean, you could say the same thing about the standard model. Right. You, like, could, ex like, you could make the exact same argument, yeah. Extra weak symmetry, it, it's nice. It's got some weird features, but once it's broken, it's it's ugly as hell. It's right. disgusting. It's, it's quote-unquote non-linearly realized symmetry. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, um, I mean, I think that I mean, let's try and, I guess, be a bit charitable on this question, saying, like, um, you know, how Sabine Hossenfelder says, yeah. you know, supersymmetry is just a pursuit for beauty. But, I mean, I feel like you could have said the exact same thing about the standard model, being like, there's no reason that nature needs to respect symmetries on the fundamental level. And we yeah. need, you know, and, but, but we need this Higgs and we need all of these things to be massless until they interact with this field. And this field breaks that symmetry spontaneously, mm -hmm. you know, for it to work. And we said that, and turns out we had a Higgs like particle discovered a 125 GeV boom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I mean, that was completely guided by just the pursuit of symmetry to describe exactly the fundamental world. And, you know, maybe the pursuit of symmetry, you know, maybe it's not the fundamental thing we should be right. looking for. Maybe not. But it's done us well for about 100 years now. Yeah, no. Uh -oh. And <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a little bit silly to say that, you know, just because we currently don't have the experimental techniques needed to, to verify it yet doesn't mean we shouldn't at least explore it. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, also, and, and I'm just speaking as a theorist here, like exploring these things, you know, supersymmetry string theory, they're interesting in their own right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you can get mathematicians to do it and not call it physics anymore one day, but it's it's still super interesting and there's a lot of good math in there. Yeah, and I mean, there's no reason a priori to think that these are not physically realizable um, uh, models. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I mean, the theory can is kind of so far past now our experimental abilities that, you know, it starts to feel like not science and, you know, maybe our language is kind of running out of words. I mean... Mm -hmm. You know, but it's definitely not pseudoscience. Um, it's definitely rigorous. No, no, it's, it's, uh... <laughs> it's about as rigorous as you can get. <laughs> oh, certainly, yeah. Uh, without actually putting it in the particle accelerator. Um, okay, so we got another question here. 
um, Stephen Ruby says, can you share your thoughts on mirror symmetry? I believe um, they're talking about parity. No, um, uh, mirror symmetry is, oh, it's a, is a concept. Of, yeah, it's a math thing. Okay. Of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't really know what they're asking about my thoughts on it because it's not really a divisive issue. But mm. so mirror symmetry is essentially... Um, so if you want a good physically realizable string theory, and that's in huge quotation marks, physically realizable, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one requirement is that your theory has 10 dimensions. So mm. nine dimensions of space, one dimension of time. And that's kind of an unattractive feature. So what is a mirror symmetry? I mean, like, what is he referring to by saying like mirror symmetry then? Oh, you're yeah, right. So, okay. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. There's okay. a build up to it. Okay, yeah. fair enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Um, so that's a really unattractive feature. Um, because you look around, you don't see nine spatial dimensions, at least, you know, on a, on a non-drug altered brain. <laughs> and, and so one way you can do this is you can take six of those dimensions and say that they're really, really small, mm. um, in, in a way that can be made precise. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And so this is, this is sort of the field of what's called compactification. Right. Yeah. And... So compactification requires that you take your 10-dimensional space-time, you break it into a four-dimensional space-time that we like, uh, more or less time some six-dimensional space-time that's really small and compact. Mm -hmm. And those and, um, those extra six dimensions have to be purely spatial, actually, right? No time dimensions in those extra Yeah, because we only have one time dimension. Right, exactly. Uh, two time dimensions is a really funny thing, and you run into a lot of trouble. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I remember reading, um, uh, what's his name's book? Uh can't think of it but i think the big issue it has to do with like lorentz invariance or something like that i can't remember the exact issue but i know there's a lot of issues that come up anyway yeah so and six dimensional manifold uh if you want uh again some some nice physical features and the word nice is where i'm hiding just a giant asterisk <laughs> um then this manifold has to be what's called a Calabi-Yau manifold, mm. uh, which is something that's of interest to mathematicians. It basically means that it's flat, more or less, except for the fact that it curves in little... There, there's a mathematical sense in which this is completely well-defined. That's, that's the picture on the Wikipedia, right? Article of yeah, string yeah. theory. Yeah, okay. If you go to the Wikipedia article for string theory, there's this like weird, trippy... <laughs> Acorn? Uh, yeah, this weird, trippy... Uh, six-dimensional acorn uh let's let's <laughs> wow. call it that and yeah so this is supposed to be like a projection or like a representation of what's called a calabi yau manifold mm. and so you'd think if i give you a string theory in 10 dimensions and i give you a six-dimensional manifold that should sort of uniquely determine your four-dimensional physics mm. Mm. uh but there's there's this phenomenon called mirror symmetry mm. where I can take two different string theories in 10 dimensions uh, dimensions there are, there are sort of five natural string theories that you can uh, sort of pull out of your ass in the end mm -hmm. and so I can take string theory on one of these theories compactify it on one manifold string theory on another compactify it on another manifold and this turns out to give you the same low energy physics mm. And I these see. two separate manifolds are called mirror pairs. Mm, I see. And so this is what this is what a physicist would call mirror symmetry. But is it a one-to-one uh, -one correspondence always? I mean, because I feel like there could be many compactifications that you could do. Uh, as as far as I'm aware, this is a this is really a pairing. Really? 
Huh. Yeah, because okay. you have two, wow. these two string theories are very specific. I see. Okay. Um, it can't just be any two string theories. It's a uh, there's a lot of footnotes in, and like two A or something. I see. Okay, um, fair enough. Yeah, and yeah, so these these manifolds are are paired, and this is really a duality. Mm, so mm -hmm. if I if I perform it once and then I perform it again. I get back to my original answer. I see. So I the see. mirror pair of a mirror pair is the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I know duality is a so, technical term, at least that I'm familiar with. So that's hitting home with me. Is that good? Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Duality is any transformation that squares to one. Something like this, right? Fair enough. Yeah. No, I had actually thought about it as a mapping between two theories, like two different mm -hmm. theories, like how, you know, you can have a strongly coupled theory of, you know, say QCD maps to is is equivalent physically to a weekly coupled theory and xyz like that's what sure, that, yeah. that's my working understanding of a duality oh yeah and i mean these these pop up everywhere right yeah on. so mute symmetry is is one of these really interesting examples of duality um and it's particularly interesting to mathematicians um insofar as their mirror symmetry in mathematics is is a very formally developed field and there, there's a lot of active research going on wow. in it. Uh, wow. And I can't speak to the math side because I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> right on. Despite no. what the physicists will say. <laughs> no, that's really, really great. Uh, man, I didn't even know mirror symmetry is a thing. The more you know. Yeah, there's a, there's a big, really... Uh... Okay. That's it. That's that's the whole that's the whole literature. It's just <laughs> one thick book. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, so we got Zach Kim. Um, oh. Yeah, um, anomaly canceller, path integral oh, is salesman. That why, is that what he's going by these days? Yeah, I think he go he goes by um anomaly canceller. Um, anyways, no more path integral salesman. Yeah, I guess he sold out. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says, "What has been the most fruitful technique slash concept slash object, uh, etc., of string theory borrowed for use other?" for use other contexts in physics to help with empirical work. I don't know if I understand that. Can you? Is he, is he asking like, what's the most powerful technique that we've borrowed from another field of physics? Um, Maybe. I think that it's what string theory has developed that other fields borrowed um, oh, okay. that led to okay. empirical discoveries. Say. Oh, that led to empirical discoveries I have absolutely no idea but, but i mean i definitely think duality should be in there some i mean like oh oh no yeah, i know i know really i know big. i know I, I know actually uh, but this is okay, susie okay. this is susie but still okay okay Go um for it. you can solve i think it's like an n equals four yang mills theory you can exactly solve the endpoint um gluon correlation function exactly okay and i i could believe this it's yeah. in some sense the simplest quantum field theory that we have in four dimensions yeah no um other and, than the trivial one and... yeah and, <laughs> and 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 that is precisely because of the duality the you know n equals four yang mills and some limit is equal to the strongly coupled you know uh gluon say four point function or something um okay. or i'm sorry endpoint um yeah uh but that's a thing and that's really mm -hmm. cool uh, yeah, so what I would say is something along the same line. Uh, but I would say, like, if you're if you're looking for something that came from string theory and then got applied to other fields, I would absolutely go with the ADS-CFT correspondence. Mm, mm, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and, and just like a background for, uh, you know, audience, what this really is, is it's a... Uh, it was this weird duality, I think, in 97. Um, 
so you know the year after i was born and <laughs> uh and it what it does is it relates quantum gravity in say five dimensions mm-hmm. to a quantum field theory with certain symmetries but without gravity in four dimensions right uh, and so in, in the particular case that it was um, first discovered in, uh, the the gravity was string theory on what's called anti-de-sitter space. Mm-hmm. That's the ADS. Which is just, yeah, mm-hmm. and which is just some space-time that has uh, a negative cosmological constant. Uh, we don't live in ADS, but it's, it's nice mathematically. It's got interesting symmetry properties. Mm-hmm. And on the CFT side, which stands for conformal field theory, the theory is n equals four super Yang Mills mm. in four dimensions, and this duality is a weak strong duality. So whenever you're in in a regime of your parameters such that on on the gravity side you can actually calculate things just using general relativity mm. uh, plus right. maybe like some semi classical corrections. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing you get on the on the uh, on the Yang Mill side is really strongly coupled stuff that you can never calculate. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that 100. That, that's a great example um, of this yeah. duality of like, it's it, it, that it's physically equivalent to this. And I mean, it's so alluring, you know, given. So yeah. for the listeners who don't know that uh, Yang Mill's theory is essentially the exact same type of theory that um, describes quantum chromodynamics, the strong force. And in the strong force emits this problem called confinement. Um, and if we can make any headway uh, in solving Yang Mills <laughs> theories, you know, that can lend a lot of insight into the problem of confinement. I mean, if you can solve Yang Mills theories, you, you basically get a million dollars from the yeah, Clay yeah, Math Institute. <laughs> good point, yeah. Um, and, and, um, and so this was huge. Yeah. And so, and I mean, Yang Mills isn't just useful for QCD. It's the entire standard model without gravity. Um, it, yeah, oh, I guess that is true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. SU2, U1, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the U1 doesn't have these weird nonlinear sure. terms, yeah, but yeah, it's still... Yeah. And so this duality isn't just sort of like some esoteric thing. Um, even though it was derived in string theory, it its calculational benefits should be true whether or not string theory is true. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and yeah, one of the first, I think, sanity checks of this, and that was really useful, was... On the gravity side, you can actually derive the, I think it's entropy density to viscosity ratio of a quark gluon plasma. What? That's insane. <laughs> you can do this calculation. Wow. Uh, I, I've seen it on a problem sheet. I, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a two-line calculation if you do it right. Whoa. And uh, the result wow. matches basically exactly what's found at CERN. Uh, what? <laughs> you can you can measure the properties of these things at CERN, oh, no. and the result is ridiculously the same. Uh, and the reason is so so this result yeah. was first derived for n equals four Yang Mills, uh, which, as you know, is is kind of like QCD but hugely simplified. It's got mm-hmm. just a, a huge amount of supersymmetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. can solve a lot of things for super Yang Mills. Uh, and as I said, a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's like the simplest quantum field theory we know of. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that's amazing because you did, you know, you wouldn't think that as you know the number of this extra dimensions goes up that some things would simplify, but it does. Yeah, and and so you can calculate this sort of like entropy versus viscosity ratio in n equals four super Yang Mills, um, but you can also argue that in some sense this number should be universal mm. uh, to basically all Yang Mills theories. 
and yeah, you yeah. plug in n equals three for QCD, and you get the answer that they found at CERN. To like, <laughs> that's amazing. So within yeah. like ten percent, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, that was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. and so Stephanie Wright has another question. Says, are there any yeah. other strings, um, other than the d equals ten and twenty six? Yeah. So there is what's called. Yeah, so when, say I have bosonic string theory, mm -hmm. which means that I'm just considering my string, uh, the particles that it predicts are only bosons, which means that if I take right. two of them, I swap them, everything is the same. Everything's exactly the same. Mm. Uh, so bosonic string theory has a critical dimension uh, of 26. Mm. means you need 26 dimensions for things to be consistent um, and then superstring theory, which is like a string with supersymmetry. So mm. it has bosons and fermions, and there's right. some relation between them. Uh, that has a critical dimension of 10. Mm. And, so and, is, and, and so is this critical dimension the smallest dimension at which um, your theory will be consistent, essentially? Uh, it's, it's, in a sense, uh, it's the only dimension in which your string theory Oh, is it's the only. Okay. Because... Yeah, so it's not like you can have 10 or 11 or 12 or 13. Oh, I see. Yeah, because like I know Just... like you can only define fermions and I don't know, I think it's like every eight dimensions in like supersymmetry yeah, or something. Yeah, which is weird Yeah. already. But... <laughs> and so there are string theories called non-critical string theories, mm. which are sort of, okay, well, what if we took string theory and put it uh, at a lower dimension? And there are cases in which you can do this. Mm. Um and you can still get consistency. They're just a bit more complicated than um, strings propagating in, in flat space-time. And so one example, I think, is uh, Liouville theory, which is just a yeah. classic, or it's a, you can write it down. It's just a classical field theory that you can then quantize. And it looks like gravity in two dimensions, basically, mm. with some extra stuff. And there, there's a sense in which that's a non-critical string theory. Uh, and yeah, there are lots of examples of non-critical string theories. Wow. Uh, it's a topic I don't know too much about. Yeah, no, that's where that's where my understanding runs out too. That's a good question though. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. it's, it's a very good question. Um, okay, so we have another one um, from Richard. It says, my summer internship on ultra cold atoms got canceled as well as- Oh no. Oh no. Um, let's, let's, yeah. Yeah. Um, as well as every opportunity I know of. Uh, what's a good way to improve your research skills at home? Mm. Um, so improving your research skills, that's quite difficult yeah. without a project to work on. Yeah, I mean, but if you had a taste of like what your, like you said, your internship on Ultra Cold Atoms got canceled. I mean, it, email your, who was going to be your advisor and be like, what was I going to do? Um, I mean, if it was an internship, like it was an RU, um, you know, I don't know if that'll get recognized anymore because you didn't go to the RU or something. Uh, but, uh, it, yeah, I mean, that's tough. I mean, these are tough times. Yeah, I mean, these are not precedented times, and that I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, um, that's, yeah. Yeah, I don't, it, the thing about research skills is that they're really hard to develop if you aren't doing the thing. Yeah. Exactly. No, I agree. I mean, because that the is only the way research. to develop research skills is to do research. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You can't really learn it in a box, but I, I, I guess one way to do this is to just sort of try to get your hands on the literature. 
Um, yeah. So I, I don't know to what extent uh, that this person, you know, is familiar with the literature on ultra cold atoms, but right. I mean, try to get yourself up to a working par in the literature, uh, read reviews, because that that might not be research skills, but it's the next best thing. It's it's previous knowledge, it's background knowledge. Yeah, and but at the same time, if it's an internship, maybe that's not your thing. You know, like like maybe you'll never get a chance to look at that again. And so, in which case, I would say, you know, email a professor from your university who does interesting research and see if they can give you anything for whatever, you know, maybe in the upcoming year, some previous, you know, readings yeah. or something just, you know, because it's important. I know this stuff is tough and, you know, these times are weird, um, but just whatever you can do to try and get research, it doesn't even matter if it's prestigious or not anymore. I mean, you're, I mean, we're going to be <laughs> like in this next year is going to be crazy. And there are going to be people without a lot of research. Yeah. And so if you're looking to apply for, say, grad school or something, the fact that you have some, um, it's probably not going to be experimental. But if you can, maybe if you're lucky and you work hard, you can get a paper out. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, that'd be great. So, yeah, yeah, good luck to you, Richard. I'm sorry. To hear I've, that. I've, I've seen so many posts on Twitter, for example, of people who are just like losing their internships and all of their research opportunities Damn. because they had to be there in person because these are right. experimental things. Right. It's just really not great. Yeah. I, that's tough. Man. <laughs> I don't know how better to describe it. Yeah, it's me just either. all around not great. Yeah, man. Okay. Matt Henderson. What's up, Matty? Um, he says, are there any thought experiments you can do that hint towards string theory? like Einstein's one that hit towards special relativity. That's a interesting one. Um yeah, I don't know if I don't know if string theory is the kind of thing you can sort of like logically deduce <clears throat> from yeah. from currently existing principles, right? At least not in its application like funda in fundamental physics. Maybe no, it, you know for the strong nuclear force like you were saying earlier, but that's it, I think. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, Einstein basically derived special relativity by saying, okay, well let's look at electromagnetic mm -hmm. in our current understanding of physics. There's, there's like a huge asymmetry in electromagnetism versus like, you know, whether I'm looking at a magnet or I'm running past a magnet. Right. No, you're, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great, <laughs> I mean, way that's basically it, yeah. how he derives special <laughs> yeah. relativity. He's like, okay, well what if I were like running really fast past a magnet Yeah. <laughs> in, in the hugely simplified way? Um, actually that's not a super simplified way to talk about it because have you read the paper oh, um, like the original 1905 paper what is it called like on the um uh electrodynamics of moving bodies yeah um i yeah i think so it's like it's super short and he yeah. actually just says like okay but what if i'm putting a magnet through a, a coil <laughs> or what if i'm putting the coil over the magnet <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. then boom completely revolutionized the field of physics in in about 10 pages yeah, I mean it's it it's and I mean, no references. I think he I think the paper had like no literary references. Oh my god, that is such king shit. <laughs> or oh, at the very yeah. least it had very few references. Uh <laughs> still no reference. Oh, he probably cited Maxwell or something. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, fair enough. Um but yeah, um in terms of fundamental particles, uh I <clears throat> it's more of just like I feel like an idea that uh, seems to be pressed on us um, from fundamental physics is that we know how to deal with uh, length scales 
Like if something has a compact dimension with a radius, you know, r, uh, we know that at about one over r energies, one over r, we would expect for that to manifest um, yeah, in like particle collapse. For new physics to, to sort of come about. Right. Um, and so Prez Kennedy is asking what exactly is a fundamental scale. Um, and I think he's referring to what I said kind of a while ago about um, it gives you like a base scale. What was I talking about? I think it was the Planck scale. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so a fundamental scale really is just in your problem, you might have some parameter that has units of length. Mm. And if you only have one parameter in your entire problem that has units of length, um, or say I have a mass in my problem, then I have units. One over mass is basically length. Mm -hmm. Then any, if I compute anything in my theory that has dimensions of length, it has to be proportional to that thing. Yeah, yeah. That's basically dimensional analysis in a nutshell. Wow. Yeah. And so that's that's what a length scale is. It's a it's just the length that's determined by the parameters in your problem. And in string theory, there's one length scale uh, that's sort of like defined on the outset. It's just the length of the string. Mm -hmm. Or if it's closed. Or sort of the typical the, yeah. length of the string. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean like, yeah, exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. No. Um, and Press Kennedy also verifying that um, Leonard Euler was indeed born in Basel. Hey, I did it. <laughs> okay. Uh, a city I've never been to, but I've been to the train station of many times. <laughs> yeah, right on. Okay. Uh, Zach Kim uh, says, um, ah, also, I don't know if this is the same Zach Kim or not, to be honest. Because <laughs> he's not acknowledging me calling him anomaly canceler by any <laughs> reasons. <laughs> but okay. He says, ah, also, do you think string theory successfully recovers GR? Um, do you think that the rigor of those derivations is convincing? Um, I mean, you really have to define what you mean by rigor, but... Yeah, let's, uh, let's just answer that, the first... I mean, I guess yeah. kind of don't answer that first bit, but just tell us what you know about it, I guess. Yeah, so getting general relativity from string theory is quite a well-understood thing. Um, and so basically, when I have... When I write down... My, my equations for string theory and I try to quantize them. Uh, usually I get what's called an anomaly, mm -hmm. which means that unless certain conditions are satisfied, my theory has just a lot of really bad properties, like probabilities become negative, mm -hmm. uh, symmetries get broken that we, mm -hmm. that without those symmetries, the theory doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And so if I put a string around, so basically I put a string in a gravitational field, mm -hmm. And I go through this entire process of trying to quantize it, and I see what the anomaly is. It turns out that that anomaly, in order for it to vanish, you need the equations of GR. Mm. For that anomaly to vanish, GR just happens. Really? Yeah. It's, I didn't it's, know that. It's like a two-page calculation, and it's just ridiculous how it works wow. out. And you just basically get exactly the equations of GR plus some corrections uh, of what? order like one over the length scale of the string. That is yeah. What? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, like getting GR from string theory is not a super difficult calculation. It is. I mean, it's difficult on you, by like a apparently. lot of standards, but yeah, yeah. by string theory standards, it's quite a 
a baseline calculation. That um, is amazing. So, I mean, because in like in just a regular QFTs, you know, anomaly cancellation is you have these, you know, that anomaly cancellation is how you get quantized charge in the standard model. Um, it's, yeah. a, it's an algebraic equation, but apparently um, what you're saying is that in string theory, in order to make your theory consistent, which is what anomaly cancellation does, is that it has to satisfy a certain you know number of equations, which is nothing crazy for anomaly cancellation, but those equations are the Einstein field equations. Yeah. That is insane. Uh, yeah, and so the reason wow. that in string theory you get this sort of like continuous uh, <laughs> restriction versus like, so in the standard model, if I were to try to get rid of all my anomalies, I basically find that my, my table of charges basically has to be the standard model. And I think there might be like one other option, right? Um, which is quite yeah. trivial as an option. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is because you have the, these charges manifest themselves as couplings in the standard model. Mm -hmm. And these couplings need to have certain values. Um, but in string theory, you, you have a much larger number of couplings in particular, mm -hmm. just in the, basic approach to string theory, the gravitational field itself can be seen as like the gravitational field at every single point is a couple of mm -hmm. cents. Uh, I mean, yeah, this, yeah. this physically doesn't make too much sense, but as a mathematical tool, this is well-defined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so you get sort of a, 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 a constraint on, on each of these couplings, and it basically tells you that these couplings have to obey Einstein's equations. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, and if you do super string theory, it tells you that you have to have the super gravity equations. Uh, and so boom, super gravity. Damn, man. Yeah. I mean, you, like, just wow. so you know, I know you can't hear the sound effects through here, but you got like eight Owen Wilson wows, like, <laughs> <laughs> like the whole time. Uh, I really, really wish I could hear them. Uh, no, it's probably for the better that I, that I can't because right. I just would have broken down. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It's probably up for the best. <laughs> okay. Um, Steve Rapolet says, uh, I hear some CERN employees are both workers and permanent uh, and permanent residents, I guess is what they're saying. Residents in Switzerland. And is and this is a good thing. Uh is that a question? Is I, I, I think, I guess. But I mean that's in, I mean Switzerland's a great place, yeah. I, I had an yeah, internship uh, at CERN. I know one thing along the lines of this, uh, okay. and, and maybe what they might have been trying to get at, uh -huh. um, which is so CERN as just a head. Well, first off, most of the big collider, most of the LHC uh -huh. is in France. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so CERN is right on the border of mm -hmm. France. It's, it's situated in Geneva, um, but it's on the very far end of Geneva. Like the headquarters is far out of the center of town, right on the border. You can walk half an hour and be in France. And bike like 10 minutes to Saint-Genis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did a lot of grocery shopping there. At Carrefour? I was, uh, <laughs> I was chilling, yeah, at Cafo. Um, <laughs> uh, and so a lot of CERN employees are, they work in Switzerland and also they live in Switzerland, mm. which is nice. Um, the thing to know here is that Swiss wages are just a lot higher yeah. than the surrounding countries. Switzerland, uh, it's all the gold in the mountains, you know. Yeah, and um, so some people work in Switzerland and live in France, and that's even better. Yeah, because the the cost of housing just drops off 
just ridiculously steep as soon as you cross the French border, and also the cost mm. of food. Um, but the quality as, as of very, uh, yeah, but I mean the quality of living is like the same. It, it's roughly the same, yeah. Um, and I, I would say the quality of the healthcare in, in France is a little better. But okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, shots fired. Um, and then some people work the other way around. They <laughs> they work in France, get paid a French wage, but they live in Switzerland. That seems silly. And that's the worst. Yeah, <laughs> because. Uh, I don't know how much you know about academia in France, but people get paid very, very little. Uh, I think PhDs get paid like fifteen hundred a month or something uh, euros, but still, yeah, uh, it's it's and that's that's in like expensive areas like Paris. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking euros to Swiss francs, and that's like even worse than the dollar to Swiss francs. Yeah, it's not great. So, yeah, so if you ever end up working at CERN, try to work in the Switzerland side. Um, yeah. Or just like, I mean, I got, I, you know, I got to, um, I mean, yeah, the, I was going to say like it was NSF funded and like, it wasn't, my advice wasn't very helpful because, you know, they paid for your, uh, like I lived actually like on the, uh, in the hostels at CERN. And okay. So, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I got to just like walk to like R2 or whatever, the cafe and yeah. like, yeah. Oh man. R2 memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out. Okay. Um, um, I don't know about this. So Maximilio Labe is saying, any thoughts on the study of possible of the possible new boson X seventeen? I've never heard of that. Yeah, I don't. No, I am really not up to date on like recent yeah phenomenology in experimental phenomenological particle physics. Yeah, no, I don't. Um, I mean, I've I've not I haven't heard of the X seventeen. Yeah. I think the closest I get is sometimes I'll see a headline like a uh, article and I'll click it really excitedly and see that it's, you know, some composite particle with seven quarks in it. <laughs> and yeah. then I'm really sad. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is remarkable, like given the fact that like QCD is, I mean, anything that involves QCD and confinement is fascinating to me, but you know, yeah, people course, say like, you know, but, but they advertise it as new particle and it's like, no, it's a new bound state. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, okay. I mean, a particle is anything that looks like a particle, right? It's <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, um, we have Zach Kim, uh, says you mentioned that we don't live in ADS, anti-disitter space. Um, and non-string theorists use this to, well, shit on string theorists. Sure. Um, this seems silly to me. Um, but what is your me too? But what is your favorite response to it? No, I mean I agree. I mean I, I saying we don't live in a ADS. I I haven't heard like an actual non-string theorist physicist, like an actual like physicist uh -huh. ever use that as a critique against string theory I, i've heard string theorists use it as really? sort of like a self-deprecating joke yeah but, <laughs> but i i've never um, actually heard a physicist like say that though have you yeah no i mean maybe no i don't think so but i mean i think the best response i have to it is okay we don't live in flat space either, but like flat space quantum field theory is super useful. <laughs> right, um, yeah, it's a good point. Um, and even if it weren't useful experimentally, like flat space quantum field theory is sort of like this very simple sort of toy model right. that you can use to describe, um, or you can use to sort of like explore how useful your theory is. Right. And string no. theory in anti-de-sitter space kind of does the same thing. Anti-de-sitter space has, has a bunch of nice properties that make studying string theory on it 
or at mm-hmm. least studying the low energy approximation of string theory really nice yeah um, i mean to me it, like it's it, like the people who say that is just missing the point is that the whole point is the duality between the two yeah is that is, is that we know we don't live in you know anti-decider space yeah and, i mean this is like i you can kind of think of of you know say consider sitter space as like a thought experiment sure that's the best you can possibly do i mean this is like saying uh you know you you can derive much of the results of special relativity by saying okay consider you're in a train that on on tracks that have no friction <laughs> yeah yeah no um, yeah it's a good point like, yeah. these things don't exist <laughs> that's that a good point that your arguments are any less valid um, <laughs> yes I, I, I think I tried to explain relativity to my aunt once and she was like, okay, but there are no trains that don't have friction. And <laughs> but there are in your mind. Right. No, I mean, it, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea is just not like, you know, that's like saying, um, does calculus apply to the real world? And well, does there really exist like like you know like Zeno's exactly and like Zeno's paradox right like can he ever complete the race I mean calculus quote-unquote answers that but that's only if you bite the bullet on saying infinite processes can be completed and so yeah (laughs) um what I would say is even if you know we don't live in anti-de-sitter space the ADS CFT correspondence is at least in my opinion uh and you know history will prove me wrong (laughs) <laughs> um, almost certainly, but I, I, and I think many other people in the field believe that ADS CFT is sort of the first example of a very general phenomenon. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, yeah. Of of holography, where I have mm. gravity in some number of dimensions, and that should be related to quantum field theory in some number of lower dimensions. Mm. And anti-de-sitter space is just the example where your lower dimensional theory has just a really nice set of symmetries. Mm-hmm. Um. But for instance, there were proposals called the the Desitter, uh, like there's Desitter space holography that I think some people worked on in the past. But well, I mean that's I don't like, think, like like we don't like understand you, enough of it. If yet. you look up holography, I think that's like like the picture on the Wikipedia page is like the classic like or or is that I may be thinking of the ADS CFT correspondence. So never mind. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm not thinking if you think about holography, if that's like the classic example. Yeah. Here first, he's saying history could prove him wrong, but he was the first to get behind it. Uh, I mean, and there are a wow. lot of people also working in, in what's known as flat space holography, hmm. um, which is really complicated um, as far as we understand, because flat space is way more complicated than uh, I ever thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some um, sense. But yeah. yeah, people are trying to understand, you know, if there is a holographic correspondence. So if I have, say, flat space in four dimensions, is there a three-dimensional quantum field theory that corresponds to gravity in flat space in four dimensions? Mm. And the answer is, well, there might be, but it's going to be super complicated. <laughs> um, yeah. But who knows? Um, so there are people working in what's called like uh, BMS uh, symmetries and uh, trying to understand the structure of so-called like BMS particles. Right on. In, in a dual quantum field theory and it's it's very complicated but anti-disitter space is just it's simple it's nice it's uh why complicate things i'll drink to that okay um so i don't know the answer to this question and if you can we can uh move on um jake Great. jake friedman 21 said what is algebraic geometry you have a minute 
Ah, uh, yes. So algebraic geometry is so, you know how in high school you have, you, you talk about parabolas. So mm. you say like that the graph of a parabola is y equals x squared. Okay, great. And you can, you can describe a bunch of other shapes by saying it's, it's some polynomial. Um, algebraic geometry is that. Okay, fair enough. Say, I like it. It's, it's saying, okay, uh, if wow. I have some polynomial in many variables, and I say let's set that equal to zero, that's going to give me some geometric shape. And this is called an affine variety, uh, just because mathematicians like being fancy. Wow. I like it. And Minute it is over. Minute is over. <laughs> you can study the geometry by using algebra. There you go. I love it. Uh, yeah. Like this all made a lot more sense if you could hear the sound effects I was employing uh, <laughs> while I was doing. Were you like do do do? No, no, no. I wish I was that good with it. <laughs> um, okay, Stephanie Wright says, um, "Thanks, guys. Are either of you single?" <laughs> Uh, I am not. Um, uh, this reminds me of a, of a, um, do you know Mitch Hedberg? No. Oh, he's one of, he, he's my favorite comedian. Uh, okay. he says, and he has, has the funniest cadence. He goes, uh, I don't have a girlfriend. I just know a girl who'd be really mad if she heard me say that. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, no one. Uh, this is self-reportedly no one. Burger. Okay. Uh, where to go about to study differential geometry for general relativity? Um, honestly, I think like sometimes the best introductions to subjects are um, textbooks that are not made specifically for that subject, but need it to move forward. And mm -hmm. so this textbook um, on uh, space-time and geometry is a, I mean, the differential geometry section just reads like fine wine. Uh, it is- Yeah, I, it definitely ages like fine wine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, uh, but I mean, I mean he I has references, is, he follows Wald. I think maybe Wald is the right answer. I mean, Wald, if you're if you're looking to go kind of hardcore, I mean, right. this is the kind of question where you really need to have a, a destination in mind. That's so true. So if you want to learn enough point. differential geometry to just, you know, uh, compute or to just learn some GR and be able to, like, compute corrections to orbits, you don't need too sophisticated of mathematics. Mm -hmm. If you wow. want to learn... If you want to learn general relativity to study like the mathematical properties of general relativity, you're going to need some like really legit differential geometry. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. uh, I always say that like physicist differential geometry and mathematician differential geometry are <laughs> they're related to each other. <laughs> yeah, they're they're isomorphic. Um, you just got to create the right mapping between terminology. <laughs> yeah. So what physicists call differential geometry, a mathematician might just call multivariable calculus. Mm, interesting some of them um, I, I feel like you extra, may even call it topology some huh? of them might even call it topology no um i mean so there's differential topology which is where you use ideas from differential geometry to study topology but that's true yeah yeah oh i think i was thinking of differential geometry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah it's a uh... physicist differential geometry is 
useful. It, you can calculate things with it. Mathematician differential geometry, you can prove things with it. And they're very different beasts, and there is a mapping between them, but it's really non-trivial. <laughs> <laughs> so, hold on, I just read this. So apparently, Zach Kim confirmed, said, uh, thanks for talking about anomaly cancel uh, an anomaly cancellation. I love anomaly canceller. <laughs> I don't know if this is actually the Zach Kim. Is this just like just, a Zach Kim Stan account? I <laughs> I don't know who this is, but I, I feel like it to be. Yeah, I know me too. But like his picture, his profile picture, they had a YouTube. His biceps would be showing somewhere like in this profile picture, and it would just, just be a picture of his biceps. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and, 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 and and it's just like a picture of a galaxy, and that just doesn't seem like Zach. So <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, well, if you are Zach, good job. If you're not, also good job. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. Um, so Pres Kennedy says, "Okay, this is a wonderful question." He says, "What okay. is an what is an orbifold, and can I eat it?" Uh. <laughs> Oh, dearie me. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going into orbifolds, but it, it's essentially, right, it's a superset of manifolds, right? I mean, you have manif I mean, you have orbifolds, they're like, you like mod out some symmetries. Yeah. Manifolds and... are, in in some sense, mm. trivial orbifolds. Yeah. Um, Perfect. So That's it. Answered, answered question. That's to, it. That's it. You the... answered it. You answered Wait, it. Wait, I have a, I have a funny <laughs> anecdote. <laughs> okay, fine. So whenever the concept of an orbifold was first being brought into light, uh, the person who was developing it, uh, he, he wanted to call it a, a manifold because it's a thing that has many folds. Um, but the term manifold was already taken. Oh, no. And so he, he, uh, he, he was teaching a class, and he asked his class to name it. And, you know, one of the suggestions was orbifold. <laughs> that's boring. Another <laughs> suggestion was foldamani. <laughs> that is so good. It was so much better, right? It's <laughs> that is so much better, actually. Yeah, I don't know why no we call them manifolds in English because in so many other languages they're called varieties. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's actually a synonym. Like, I mean, a variety, you know, is like a man. Like you say, oh, I have a manifold of options. Whoa. <laughs> or I guess you just blew my mind. I guess the world would be I have manifold options. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. It is clear that my English is not up to par here. <laughs> well, what can I say? I grew up on it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, moving on. Okay. Somebody asked about the X-17. I told you, we don't know about the X-17. Stop asking me. Um, I don't but, know what that is. <laughs> um, okay. But this one actually seems to be informative. So let's read it. Uh, it says, well, okay. about the X-17, a Bulgarian research group published a paper uh, where they appeared uh, to find a... Uh, neutrophilic boson of 17 MeV while experimenting with a helium nucleus. Experimental error. Move on. Um, <laughs> 17 MeV is so light. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that seems way too light to be a fundamental discovery. Yeah, no. Uh, and if it's happening in a helium like if, if you're if you're checking helium nuclei, this, this is probably, I don't know, it could be experimental error, but yeah, yeah. again, I don't know anything about this, and neither do you. So yeah, no, neither do I. I'm just saying it. Just I, I, I feel like it would have shown up in the LHC far before it would have shown up, you know, in somebody's lab. But hey, who knows? Um, Drew Langford. Um, I am a undergraduate physics major and do observational astronomy research right now. As I get into higher level math, I'm starting to think about doing theory in grad school. Um, 
And I think this is the follow-up. How did you decide to study theory instead of experimental stuff in grad school? Um, um, I had always, uh, like since day one, I wanted to do theory. Uh, since I decided I wanted to do physics, I, I mean, I just love math. Um, and uh, but I loved like physics also, and I I couldn't and also like the only like B I got in undergrad was in my senior lab um like i am i am not an experimentalist by any low key extent. brag over here <laughs> yeah no <laughs> anyways so um it's just i don't know um i just kind of knew it uh but i understand not everybody's that way uh you know they have different some people kind of fall into theory um but i guess kind of i don't have any advice there though yeah, I think it's roughly the same for me. I When I went into undergrad, I wanted to do either math or physics. I didn't know which one. Mm. And my my first year roommate was really into physics. So I was like, okay, I guess that's where I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. And so I, I stayed on the theory side. But I did take one. Ex- I mean, I, I, I went through all of undergrad without ever doing an experiment, which I'm not proud of, but I'm kind of <laughs> proud of. That uh, is, that's something to be proud of. Just administrative error. I never had to take a lab. But... Oh man, you like you out logic the logic department. I love it. Yeah, it was super strange. But I did take an <laughs> observational astronomy course, um, which you know required me to go to the telescope at until like three in the morning on a Wednesday and have to get up at nine the next day to go to class. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed that actually. Yeah. No, I I, I love my. I found it awesome yeah. to sort of like you know apply the skills that I had learned mathematically. You know, learn a little bit of programming mm-hmm. and make an observation about something that I can see in the sky. Yeah. And then when my measurement matched wow. the, the well-recorded measurements in the literature, I, that was, that was a very happy moment. And so I can understand why people do experiment. It's, right. it's really satisfying once it pays off. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're totally right. You know, that's a great point. But, uh, I mean, not like, for me, not for me. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point. You know, just kind of, um, uh, it, it, even that kind of you know tangible uh, goal and getting something close to it or something that deviates very far from it you know it's really awesome yeah. um so daniel whiteson's going in um he's a professor here at uh uc irvine particle physics professor um and he said with a period um nobody has replicated the x17 result um <laughs> <laughs> uh he says the lhc uh, he says the LHC can't see the X-17. Uh, the UCI theory group showed, that's us, um, that if the signal were real, it would legitimately evade all other experimental bounds. But it's only been seen by that one Hungarian group, which has a sketchy history of dubious results. <laughs> Wait, was it Hungarian or Bulgarian? I think... Uh well uh Daniel Weissen says Hungarian but you're right the first person did say Bulgarian weird maybe they're uh, isomorphic in some sense I don't know uh, <laughs> yeah I mean there you know there's a uh, counting yeah. is hard to slate yeah no um yeah I mean I didn't even know our our theory department was working on that that's amazing huh. uh, that they were just like yeah it would be this or that I mean but yeah. it doesn't surprise well, I mean, me that's, that's what happens anytime you know there's some experimental result in particle physics where it's like oh we see a bump right it's just 
there's a slew of theory papers that come out the next day. Right. That yeah. I mean, <laughs> try to either explain or explain away the bump. Exactly. Yeah. No. There's a. There's a. So the. So for the the subset of papers that try to explain the bump, those are called. Um. Th- there's a name for it. It's called um ambulance chasing papers. Um, <laughs> and that's because it comes from the term of, I I don't know where it originated, but apparently like attorneys, they'll chase like they would chase ambulances you know because they would find their clients from like accidents and stuff (laughs) that's incredible i love that name and i am using it from now please do yeah Uh, yeah ambulance ambulance chasing is really a thing in physics oh Uh, yeah yeah it's a huge thing um (laughs) like there was a there was a measurement uh of the hydrogen atom or of the the proton radius that was you know, different from a bunch of other measurements and the number of papers that came out within that decade trying to describe it are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, saying, oh, it's beyond standard model physics. Um, oh, it's supersymmetry. Oh, here's why it's true. Here's why it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, Pres Kennedy, uh, is, there, uh, is there any linking at all for testing string theory cosmologically as opposed through high energy physics? Uh, this is certainly something that I think people who know things about string cosmology might be able to talk about a bit more. Yeah, no, I don't know anything about, I don't know anything about string cosmology, but I can't, from what I know about string theory, see a way to test it other than, uh, like through collisions. There are predictions that say it could possibly manifest itself as certain deviations in the microwave background radiation but i don't know oh interesting so daniel whiteson coming in saying he says um uh this was not at all ambulance chasing i never meant to call it ambulance chasing um but uh (laughs) he said he said it was all but ignored until uci theorists found a model that could explain it and evade all other bounds that's actually remarkable yeah um yeah i mean that's actually remarkable um did i call this particular thing ambulance chasing by uci i don't think i would throw my own university under the bus like that but um but at any rate um yeah uh this is that is really really clever if they did that um yeah it's quite cool uh but yeah i mean i gotta I mean, got to backpedal. <laughs> well, I'm d- I'm just trying to think about what I said, I guess. But yeah. Anyways, moving on. Um, for the sake of continuity. Um. Uh-huh. Um, my fave animation from your traveling at the speed of light, and how the electric fields mm. change. Apparently, there was this guy tonight at um, the logic of. Um, philosophy, or, sorry, the School of Logic and Philosophy of Science, who showed my animation here at UCI. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, like I, like of the relativistic point charge moving. Yeah. Okay. Is this like a? I don't think I've seen this particular one. Does it just like show the kinks in the electric field? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have. I actually have a couple, but it's just, it's just I just use the um, Leonard Weikert um potentials to calculate the um. You know yeah. the electric and um, um, magnetic four potential, and just ran it, and uh, it looked pretty cool. And so I posted it. 
Nice. Yeah. Um, but apparently... I feel like that's how all of your animations come about. Yeah. You sort of like, are you're just screwing around with yeah, Mathematica or exactly. something, and that's something literally looks cool, it. and you're just like, all right, I'm going to post this now. <laughs> that's literally it. Like, I just, like, toy around, and that's why I always rave in Mathematica, because, like, it lets you really kind of do that. Is... Yeah, I mean, sometimes I see your animations and I'm just like, oh, wow, Dylan's really bored. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just like, oh, check this out. <laughs> like, okay. Um, the thing is, is that often they look good enough that it really seems like, you know, they're, they're, it was an intentional thing. You, you went in with a plan. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but since I'm thinking very deeply. I can envision this geometrically. <laughs> it's just like, oh. no, that was one of the parameters that looked pretty. It's fine. It's, yeah. it's... Okay, so Daniel Whiteson got my back, said I did not call it ambulance chasing. So that's good, good news. Good, good. <laughs> um... Okay, so um, Bobby's got to get to work here pretty soon, right? So uh, I can stay on a little longer. I'm... Okay, yeah. So we'll call uh, around 30 minute-ish kind of okay. uh, vibe i mean we've actually had a really high viewership for the hour a night um uh good good yeah wait how, what are we up to right now um in total i don't know but right now uh we've got about 26 people viewing live i'm famous amazing yeah i know um and it's been going in and out I mean, it's really awesome uh okay so let's see um so Maximilio uh, Labe says, looking, uh, looking all, I think he means looking at PBS spacetime videos, making okay. me a PhD in astrophysics. What the hell kind of question is that? Boo, boo. I don't think I quite understood the question. <laughs> me either. I'm. I, I just employed some sound effects. Oh, okay. Um. Okay. okay moving on. Um, hey guys, hope you're all safe. Uh, I got a question. Uh, what does it mean to say that space-time is dynamical in GR while it is not in QFT? Mm -hmm. um, dynamical means that space-time changes. I mean, that it's not just fixed. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was I was very careful not to say that it changes in time. <laughs> um, because it can. You can have a you can have right. a fixed you can have a fixed background space time that does change in time, like like orbiting right. planets. That's and then you can do QFT around that. But I mean what it really means is that the space time reacts to other fields and variables in your problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. The space time isn't just something you write down beforehand. It's something you have to, you know, solve your problem to find out how it reacts to other exactly. variables in your problem. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and and that's what the Einstein field equations are, is it's telling you how I mean Einstein field equations relate um the curvature of space time to the matter distribution. And those two yeah. things give and take back and forth, and that's the the dynamics. Yeah. Like you can you can find how things move in, in some fixed background space-time right, yeah. without using the full formalism of GR. Um, we have it's for, just when you yeah, want to see yeah. how the space-time reacts to the things occupying it. Mm, that's that's mm. when it becomes dynamical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And it's also when you run into all your problems wow. in quantum field theory, when you uh, space-time be a dynamical object. Yeah. That, things that, get sad. That is very difficult. Because how you def Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Okay, um, tequila's kicking in. Um, he says... Press Canada. Nice. 
has another question. Um, if strings undergo tension, do they behave similarly to springs, i.e. F equals minus KX? Uh, so I think <clears throat> but it's a they are a bit different. Right, it's a linear potential, not a... Yeah, which means a constant force and right. not a force that's proportional to the length. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's about it. That's the big difference. Uh, spring theory might not have the same uh, ring to it, <laughs> uh, and it definitely wouldn't have a lot of the same properties. Although spring theory, I, I think at some point first. In, in, in November, when I was at CERN for a month, uh, a bunch of us like we wanted to start like a like a spring theory uh, website. Like, do you know the Time Cube website? No, I don't. I don't know the. You don't know the Time Cube? Okay, it's one I of these like do, ancient no. internet relics of a website that was built by someone who like claimed he was like the smartest man alive. Oh, and wonderful. Another one. Theory of how time works. And it's like, okay, time is a six-sided cube and each side has certain properties. How about that? Um, and so like there are a bunch of spin-off wow. websites that are just a parody of this. So there's the, uh, there's the hollow earth, <laughs> which says that the earth isn't flat. It's not, it is round, but we live on the inside Oh. and it's hollow. How about that? Yeah, um, and so we, we thought of like you know starting a website for for spring theory, uh, <laughs> the, the fundamental theory of, of everything, guys. Uh, tell your friends. <laughs> Man, these sound effects are going wild right now. I love it. Thank you so much for the fodder. Um, so yeah, no, hollow earth theory is bullshit. Um, oh man, but yeah, no. Um, I think the fundamental takeaway is that. Uh, is that it's a is that the potential itself goes goes like distance not the force goes as distance yeah yeah um, um daniel weiss still going on says um but it remains to be confirmed by other experiments hasn't been done yet x17 oh yes okay yeah yeah um, i saw him actually sure. today at uh, albertson's it's a restaurant or it? it's a grocery store here Okay, grocery store. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Dylan, are you not social distancing? No, no, no. I kept my distance. Don't you worry. Nice. Um, Tom says, what's your credence level from 0 to 10 that string theory will ultimately unify physics? Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a late question. So, I mean, you know, uh, so like let's just, I mean, it could, but, you know, I mean, it we I'm could... not placing any bets anytime soon. Yeah, no. I... <laughs> yeah, let's, I mean... The fact of the matter is I probably won't be alive to see the answer to that question. Fair enough. Good point, good point. Wow. Right on. Okay. Unless so... technology just, like, advances <clears throat> ridiculously within the next 50 years. <laughs> Maybe we'll find, like, UFO crashes. Um, damn, I'm so wishing that I downloaded the Illuminati confirmed sound effect right now for that. <laughs> like... Like, like I would have clicked it right there. Yeah, I was about to say I recommend the X Files one, but I guess it's the same. Okay. Oh, man, that would have been so perfect. Uh, All right. Bourbon is kicking in. It's eight in the morning. This oh, is... <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so uh, we're gonna take a quick commercial break because I need to go to the bathroom, but we'll be okay. right back uh, with more after this.
<laughs> okay, and we're back. I love it. I love it. Um, that's usually my outro. I've got to put some commercial music on. I know I, I actually have a, a couple uh, commercials that I recorded. Um, not like for commercial like purposes at all. They're not advertising any company. Um, yeah. Like one of them was, um, this podcast has been brought to you by the letter Epsilon. Epsilon. <laughs> infinitesimally small but not quite zero epsilon <laughs> that's quite good that's quite good thank you uh yeah. i have a couple others but you know you gotta stay tuned to find them out oh of course okay and um and drew langford says dylan what do you enjoy most about making animations slash is there a story about how you got started um i got started like less than a year ago um, and that's just because the people responded to my animations. Um, people seem to really like them. They like visualizations. Uh, and so, you know, rather than just posting formulae, uh, formulae, formulas, mm -hmm. if you will, um, just started to kind of play around with visualizations and yeah. Yeah, I go. think I remember that transition because there was a time when yeah. your Twitter feed was a lot of like a uh, LaTeX block equations. Yeah, no, you're you're yeah. you're a day one. So you I mean, if you go back, you know, further in my you know, way back in my Twitter feed, you'll just see a bunch of like LaTeX and even Beamer slides. Um Yeah. yeah. I mean, which were good. Yeah, I mean, they were fine, it's but good I mean content. Yeah, trying to grow your audience, you know, you respond yeah, to Yeah, there's there's want. a lot less of a sort of like audience accessibility <laughs> in, in posting formulae because maybe not everyone has like the math background necessarily understand the thing but animations are kind of universal exactly exactly so I definitely yeah. say that um, no one says Bob is really good bring him again no I agree this has been absolutely right, awesome yeah. okay but yeah. this time you have to wake up at 5 in the morning to get to my schedule <laughs> okay okay fair enough actually fair no enough. that'll that'll be like wow 2pm for me uh, we can figure something out 5am <laughs> I mean, I just have to drink at noon, I guess. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Noon. No, not yeah. drinking at noon. Or in these sad and, and uh, uncertain times, that's just that's just a Tuesday, right? That's that's a that's a whatever. I don't even think days of the week have meaning anymore. <laughs> I definitely don't, except I know when I don't have to work. <laughs> Fair enough. Where do you so but you so you by work, you mean I just sit at my laptop and doodle. I equations see. on a piece of paper okay so do you ta is ta yeah also thing? yeah i have to uh i'm teaching thermodynamics which is just great yeah it's in physics other than like experimental things yeah um but yeah i basically pre-record like a zoom lecture of me going through a beamer slide <laughs> and talking like like presenting the solution to last week's problem sets and giving hints for this week's do you find um do you find that it's easy like has your ta job been more uh strenuous like like more difficult required more of your time than it has previously or is it about the same or is yeah i think it's required a lot more active effort mm. i think beforehand i think the most active effort i ever did was just grading and <laughs> understanding the lecture stuff. Yeah. But now I have to make a presentation. I have to actively record it. Mm. Whereas, you know, TA classes here are basically you show up, you talk about the problem set and students have questions and you answer them. And it's, it's pretty passive. There's yeah. not a 
ridiculous amount of preparation that goes into it. But I see. what you're trying to teach online, you have to prepare right. pretty extensively. And people like tend to be kind of perfectionist when they have the ability to, Ooh. you know, correct themselves. Uh, you know, if you give a lecture, you're just there. You know, you respond yeah. to things yeah. and that's that. Uh, but And I try, I try not to fall into this hole. Right. Uh, like sometimes there are typos that make it into my slides and I just say, okay, this is a typo. I'll correct it when I upload the slides, <laughs> whatever. Right on. Uh, yeah. So in terms of stress levels, do you find yourself being more stressed, less stressed, kind of the same? Um, I think it's a different kind of stress. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, like I think when I was in the office more, um, I mean, this isn't just related to TAing, but just like being a PhD student in general. Mm -hmm. When I was in the office more, you know, uh, there was always sort of like this low level stress of like, okay, like, you know, my advisor could walk in at any time and, you know, we'd, ha we'd, we'd have to talk and he'd expect me to know things. Um, but now it's a different kind of stress of, oh no, I'm trapped in this box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I somehow now have to be responsible for my own motivation. <laughs> While I have distractions, I just got a Nintendo Switch. Wow. Uh, I want to say today, but really, I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I found someone on Twitter who gave me their Switch. Well, sold it to me. Um, oh, nice! It's just ridiculous. Twitter's a weird website, man. Uh, <laughs> Twitter's a great place, though. You know, you can you can you can buy Switches, and you know, there was a guy who had a Switch. He didn't want to play it anymore, and he met me at the train station and sold it to me. <laughs> Uh, how much did you get it for? Uh, like three hundred, but it also came with a with a game. So oh, that's I, I think and that's, it was barely touched. So. Yeah, I don't know what the price is for a Switch usually, but I think it's like three hundred for just the Switch, and this was barely used. So I think was it pretty good. Deal. Was that game Animal Crossing? No, it's uh, Breath of the Wild. Oh, which I am loving. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. Um, I yeah, I don't. I I've never I never played Animal Crossing, but like I want to find a you know, girlfriend to play Animal Crossing with because it mm -hmm. just seems like what people are doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Did you ever play like Harvest Moon um, back in the day? No, was that like a Nintendo game as well? Yeah, I think the best one was on the GameCube, and you just you just farm. The, <laughs> you have to you have to find a wife, and that's like the big <laughs> plot. Like there are three women that you have to like choose between, and depending on like. Like you have to like pick certain conversation notes to get them to like you. And <laughs> I love it. <laughs> although part of the plot go, like deals with going through their stuff and reading their diary to figure out how much they like you. And that's oh, a little no. creepy. But... It's a bit invasive. Yeah. Well, like, it's just sort of like it's got calm music. You just farm. It, you're just you're just vibing. That's it. That's the whole I thing. And I think that's what Animal Crossing does. And I think that's why people like it so much. It's just relaxing. Yeah. There's no yeah. goal. You just do it. Yeah, I, I feel like that's why people also like Minecraft as well. Um, is you just kind of like yeah. do your thing. Okay, so this yeah. is a question for you. Um, from oh, yeah, from uh, like a glove. Uh, it says, "Hey Bob, um, ETH is my dream uni. Um, okay, what do you recommend for someone who wants to apply there for grad school?" Yeah, so this is one of those questions that doesn't really have an answer. And the reason being that when you're applying for grad school, especially in Europe, you're not really applying to the university. Mm. You're applying to a professor. Mm. So like in the US, the, the situation is you apply to an admissions committee and maybe a professor can say a good word on your behalf. 
But when you're doing the European application process, really you contact a professor, you apply to their group wow. specifically, and because you've already done the master's degree, mm -hmm. you don't have this sort of like uh, situation where you're taking classes for two years and then you like pick an advisor and a research topic and all this. Mm -hmm. um, so really it's just find a supervisor that you like, get in contact with, with them and you know, make sure that you like their project because ultimately it's not about going to the university. It's about having an advisor that uh, you want to work with and whose research topic interests you. Amen. And you can do that anywhere. Yeah. Amen, brother. That's a that that's some great A advice right there. Yeah. Like, All right. You know, people always want to go to to the best universities. People want to you know do their PhD at Harvard or do their PhD at, but it doesn't really matter unless it, there's a person there that you want to work with. Mm -hmm. And that's in 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 like from my like for my first podcast to here like that is the number one continuing theme is that find somebody that you want to work with because you'll learn the most from them. You'll want to work with them. And in yeah. honestly, at the end of the day, that's what's important. I mean, yeah. and it doesn't matter if you're at MIT or a super small university in the middle of Alabama, if mm -hmm. you've got someone you want to work with, and you're doing research, that's really what matters. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's a huge stark contrast to undergrad where the university kind of does matter. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, I, I know it's hard, like as an undergrad to kind of take that to heart. And, you know, when the world just seems to kind of be working in a different way and, but it, it's true. If you want to really take academia seriously at this next level, that's, you know, that's really just what you want. Yeah. Okay. So this one is for you uh, by Brez Canada says, Bobby, Bobby Knighton. Uh, <laughs> if you were kicked out of Switzerland tomorrow, what would be your backup plan? That's a fun oh, question. God. We haven't had many questions like that tonight. <laughs> um, so I guess plan B is be homeless for a little bit. No. Um, <laughs> if I were kicked out of Switzerland, I'd probably be just shipped back to the U.S., <laughs> so, I mean, I guess my backup plan is, God, I don't know. The thing is, wow. like, <laughs> if you have a degree in physics, you can you can really enter industry. Yeah. It is possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, my backup plan would just be to try to find some field in industry that I would be well-suited to work in and that I would enjoy. That, yeah. That's about it. That's all you can do uh, at that point. Yeah, I mean, am I going to be kicked out of Switzerland? I don't know. <laughs> He's like, if you am I going to be deported? <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, also, I mean, if I were kicked out of Switzerland, as long as I still have my Swiss bank account, I could still work here. Probably, mm. I working remotely is completely possible. Um, I have mm. a friend who is doing his PhD in Estonia, and he spends all of his time in Greece. I don't even know what Estonia. Where is Estonia? Uh, it's it's in the Baltics the baltic sea yeah it's uh it's like near russia and he lives in I greece it, i think it might border finland i'm not sure i'm not a geographer i'm not a geographer <laughs> um, but yeah he spends all of his time in greece he goes to estonia like once every three months to meet in person with his advisor but he does everything remotely and you know that could that could be a thing yeah i mean especially during these trying times yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm already doing that. I might as well be in the U.S. 
Yeah. No. Only reason I'm not here now is because I have health insurance here. <laughs> you, I mean, the- UC Irvine um, has like awesome like health insurance for like all their TAs and stuff like that. Um, but I guess I don't know. It depends. I I think it really depends on the university. Um, yeah. we got a really great comment by a professor here at uh, UC Irvine, Daniel Whiteson. Whiteson says, "I like your message about finding a good connection with the professor. That's important." But it's also true that a large fraction of current professors came from a small number of top PhD programs. I could believe that, yeah. Um, yeah, let me think about that. Um, is he saying that n- like not all the, like most of the actual, you know, Oh, I see. I see. I see what he's saying. I think he's saying that like yeah, most yeah, of the yeah. people who have made it to the yeah, top of academia yeah, 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 yeah. did start in these top PhD programs. Yeah, and... yeah. Um, that's true. I mean, but you know, that could be hinting at another variable. You know, is that a lot of the people that tend to get admitted um, to these programs are insanely hard workers, grinders, and mm-hmm. oftentimes come from a background of um, academics in the family and so pushed and pushed and pushed because whereas, you know, for me, I have no, you know, my family has no background in academia. And so I feel no obligation to keep pushing if I'm not happy. Whereas, you know, you can feel this pressure from external sources, um, to continue to continue until you get that tenure position. Um, I'm not, obviously I'm not saying all do, but that could account for a decent amount because I feel like a lot of, you know, a large fraction of top PhD programs also are kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Legacy based. Um, it's about who, you okay. know, it's a, I mean, and that's not just top PhD programs are like that, but a lot of academia, at least coming out of undergrad is about who, you know, Yeah. um, I could believe that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of more variables to account yeah. for than just, you know. I think also another thing is that the academic job market, it's it's always been. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say job market, I'm even including PhD positions. Being mm-hmm. a PhD student is a job, and the job market for that, especially, I think, in theory, is just, it's getting a lot worse. And so maybe in the past, like, if you were a good like a really good student, it was mm-hmm. like quite possible to get into these top universities. But I mean, I, one of the best, um, like theorists, like undergrad theorists that I ever knew, he got into zero top universities that he mm. applied to. Mm. Um, and, and like, this guy, and, and he this was guy the took best, like, like second semester quantum field theory in his first semester as an undergrad. Wow. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? This happens. Wow. And I think wow. the, the job market is super saturated. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, man, that's heavy. Okay, so we're going to go five-minute warning on that depressing note. Um, we got a couple here. <laughs> um, we got, um, he says, Pre- Press Kennedy says, uh, bo- uh, Burger or Knighton, that is me or you, uh, there's a bunch of integrals of the form integral dx 
to the four, uh, e to the integral, yada, yada. Uh, is there a nice physical intuition about uh, what these are representing? Um, I think the... I think maybe what you're saying is close to kind of that, is that it's the integral over all paths of e to the integral dx4. Yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen much of the, like, integral d4x e to the integral something something. Right. <laughs> I haven't seen that much. Yeah. But the, the integral over all paths e to the something something, that is ubiquitous in physics. That's... Right. Um, the, yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, there is, uh, I mean, I guess a, a decent amount of intuition for that, because I guess that's kind of all you have to go on when it comes to path integrals is you're, that's all you got. Yeah. I mean, you're in, forget the word integrate. You're summing over all trajectories weighted. Um, and those, those weighting coefficients are the classical actions. Yeah. Um, and truly classical actions. Um, and forget the D4X, like the D4X times Lagrangian density. That's just like for, that's like, just what an action is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least that's what a local action is. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just rewriting the action in like a manifestly Lorentz variant way. Um, you just, it, it's essentially just the integral over all paths of the classical action and the classical action is again, weighting how much each uh, trajectory contributes from A to B, say. Yeah. Um, I like how you're selling path integrals right now. <laughs> I'm a path integral salesman. What can I say? Um, yeah. Operationally, uh, like Ryan Reese says, it is like a partition function. Uh, but I don't think that, I personally don't find that obvious just by looking at the formula. No. Um, but that's what it's saying is that you're adding up, you know, all these different it's a sum over trajectories of these weighted actions so yeah. yeah i mean what's amazing is that this thing isn't even defined yeah. properly <laughs> yeah no i mean it's amazing in in the the more the most amazing property is that we can get useful shit out of it yeah it's it's <laughs> you can manipulate it and prove things with it prove <laughs> things with it but yeah. it's by itself no one really knows how to define these things Except for in the simplest possible cases. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, like, there are cases where, you know, you can define it super rigorously and it works wonderfully, you know, but, uh, yeah. One-dimensional quantum mechanics, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quantum field theory, ain't nobody know. <laughs> quantum field theory, like, forget it. Like, I mean, it, it has, you know, it has enough difficulty being defined in the context of quantum mechanics, which is, like, you know, one of the most, like, beautiful formalisms I've ever seen. And then, yeah. um, you know, but the, the, once you try to turn these things into fields, this and that, and uh, functional integrals of field yeah. operators, forget about it. Like, but Heard some... you like quantum mechanics. Oh, boy, now it's infinite dimensional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, this is wild stuff. Okay. Um, so um, no one is asking, uh, he says, anyone uses David Tong's notes, question mark? Uh, I find them really entertaining and helpful. Yeah, David Tong's a great reference, I'd say. I think it's good, especially when you're starting out in something. Yeah. I've, I've read basically all of his notes. Yeah. Uh, it, it stops being useful once you get, want to get like a little bit more advanced. Right, right. 
because he does sort of have this philosophy, at least when I read it, this is what I think, that he like, you know, do the simplest things first. Mm-hmm. And the rest is in the literature. <laughs> no, I mean, like, and, and, you know, that, you know, it's just how he operates pedagogically. But I mean, yeah. like, David Tong, to me, is a staple of learning quantum field theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely think uh, he's definitely valuable. David resource. Tong is good. His string theory notes are good. Uh, I haven't met those. His notes yeah. on the, the quantum Hall effect are quite good. Mm. I'll have to look at those. I haven't. Uh, I... I think they're his best. I... Nice. Right on. Okay. Yeah. So we'll. Uh, yeah. um, so no one is also asking again. Says Sean Carroll's book uh, is great for GR. Just started. But any nice problem solving source. Uh, what? Uh, I think so sources for problems to solve in GR. I see. Uh, I think solving questions along with studying uh, the theory is equally important. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's I'm, the only way you learn something, right? Is yeah. To, to solve, the, do the exercises. That's that's it. That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and I think maybe what he's saying is that Sean Carroll's textbook isn't the best for finding exercises. That's true, but I mean, I, I would imagine that there is, uh, um, you know, myriad. Uh, sources yeah. for I mean, you take, know, on this take any like any university exchange. that has like an an like an open courseware type thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Find their GR course and look at the problem sheets. We even have one at UCI. Um, uh, yeah. Her, Her, Herbert Homber has like the uh, courses on YouTube. Like you look up general TV lectures, his are like the first, and like I think they're all OCW stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean GR is like a hundred and five years old now, and. Uh, yeah, there, there's there are so many good exercises out there. Uh, you just kind of have to look. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I mean, I and, and get creative. Like, just come up with your own. Just be like, from the first principle of relativity, derive like the Earth's orbit around the sun. Say, like, just something that simple. I don't know. That could be fun. Yeah, exactly. That could be fun, and it'd be cool. Yeah. You know. I and, mean, I think one of the most classical uh, problems is find the precession of the orbit exactly of some orbiting of, of, model body yeah. in general relativity and that's not a super hard problem but it's tricky yeah at that point yeah yeah no what i'm saying is like 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 prove you know the you know the recession of you know uh, uh of, of mercury right yeah like like that itself is would be an extremely rewarding derivation and also yeah. super uh illuminating yeah and it's not the most difficult calculation in the world, which is what's nice about it. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of tests whether or not you actually understand the physical meaning of the things that you're writing down. Yeah, no. And and I feel like those are uh, some of the best kind of derivations to go through. 100%. Um, okay, so last question. Um, okay, and I also ready. Yeah, and I also think this is a good last question for the podcast. Um Got it. So by Press Candidate, I haven't read it through, so I don't know if this is a good question. He says, uh, if either of you were forced at gunpoint <laughs> to start a physics department from scratch, what would you spend the first year doing? Okay, that's not like the best question, though. Oh, goodness. Um, um, <laughs> hiring people who are better at administrative things than me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That is so good. Like, people that always so overlook, like, 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 secretaries and people who have administrative jobs. They are the lifeblood. <laughs> they they do yes. the thing. Yes. Universities would not run without yes. those people. Yes. That's exactly what I do first off. I agree. 
is that like or uh like we have a wonderful i don't you know i don't want to i don't know if she wants like her name out there but i mean her her first name is my she works here uh at uci she is literally the lifeblood she organizes all the tas everything that gets going like she is the it, without her we they, everybody be lost like she can we, is, can we just drink one to the secretaries of the yes, world yes. Uh, who are who are underappreciated and yes, overworked? Yes, one hundred percent. Here's to you guys. Here's to you. <laughs> oh. Mm. oh man, that's good stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. Man, this has been some awesome viewership tonight. Um Yeah, this this is good. Yeah, so um so since this is, uh, I guess that was the last kind of question um, in the chats, let's, um, I'll kind of get fun with this one. Um, and I will ask you, uh, oh, dear. yeah, Bob Knighton, just as a controversial question. Sure. What is your opinion on UFOs? Ah, they're real. hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> That's no doubt it. About it. Illuminati confirmed. Um, and, and okay. So my explanation of that answer UFO just stands for unidentified flying object. Okay, okay. I, I, don't, want the, I, I, I don't want the technical answer. 100%. I don't want the technical answer. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, like, of, like, the best, you know, like, 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 you know, call out all the bullshit. There's plenty of bullshit, of course, you know. Um, yeah, but, like, so. of, like, I'm talking about, like, you know, the top, you know, most reputable cases um, uh, that you've seen or whatever. Maybe you're not curious about them, but uh, I don't know. What's your take, you know, in your heart of hearts of some weird things that are going on in the sky? Or maybe they're not that weird. People are just misidentifying them. And So my answer to this has kind of always been the same. I okay. definitely believe that there is something else going on in the universe. Like, right there's got to be other life forms out there. Like, it, wow. it would just be the weirdest cosmic coincidence if mm -hmm. there weren't. Mm-hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Earth. I think if they did, we would know about it. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I think it would be like a huge event. You think they'd like come down like on these, uh, like they'd land, they'd like, you know, make their presence known and this and that. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think it would, you, I think you couldn't miss it. I think it's the kind of thing you couldn't hide. Yeah. Um, Maybe. I don't know. What are what are your takes on UFOs? I haven't I, heard this yet. Yeah, no. I mean, I don't have many like like I don't ever reported, you know, I I don't ever claim to have any authoritative opinion on it. Um, but it seems reasonable to me that like if a like if a uh extremely intelligent um say like species, you know, came here from I don't know, say they developed like gravity propulsion systems or whatever, you so know. Uh, or something that our mind, you know, couldn't even entirely grasp, but but is still, you know, in the realm of levels of physics, but bending them enough to within the realm of physical possibility. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, say Alpha Centauri. I don't know. Um, uh, and it seems reasonable to me that they'd just be like, "Oh, these these people are just like doing their thing," and like they are kind of stupid, and boring, and okay, bye. <laughs> I I just feel like we would have signals from like SETI or something way yeah, before no, we yeah, actually yeah. got visited by by an intelligence. Yeah, no, I mean that's a 
that's a great point is that um and i think you know that is uh probably the most important criticism to levy is that you know we are here and we are radiating things outwards into space uh at one over r squared but you know there are big enough satellites out there to completely detect that and know exactly what we've been doing um and presumably any intelligent society will be doing that exact same thing Although it's entirely possible that not, you know, maybe right. they just know so much more about the universe than we do. I mean, because we like to think that we understand that we understand very little as a species. Um, at least, I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot more to understand about the universe than we currently know. And, you know, maybe they have some technology based on some phenomena that we haven't observed yet. Right. I mean, like, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, of course, that's entirely possible. And, like, I... Like, I mean, I said, you know, in my podcast literally that was dedicated to UFOs with UFO extraordinaire Deep Prasad, who is a great friend of mine. Um, okay. He, you know, I I have never experienced any crazy things or anything like that. Um, but it is weird to me that, you know, that you've had these extremely uh, reputable people who have been in the sky their entire lives, uh, you know, reporting these uh, certain mm -hmm. sightings. Uh, and not just sightings, but... The <laughs> really really abductions things. And... No, no, no 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 not just like okay <laughs> actually nobody's a you know reported abductions who's like super like uh reputable but um i'm just talking about um you know unphysical lateral movement things like that yeah. uh that you know just seem really weird um and so i don't think people are stupid you know who have been in the oh. sky that long that we can just be like, oh, it was some illusion because they were suffering hypoxia and like when there's no evidence to support that. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I think there's definitely some, I mean, so let me put it this way. I think there's something fundamental we don't know. Um, yeah. And sure. whether it be one thing or the other, uh, it's, I don't know. I think it's just weird, yeah. I guess. I would be open to the possibility of UFOs. I want there to be UFOs. I know, me too, me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I said, my answer is always going to be the X Files answer. I want to believe. Yeah, me I, too. <laughs> you know, it's a great point. Like I want to believe, and uh, I want, but you know, I, I, you know, what I would want to believe in even more is like ghosts. But to me, oh my god, I would love to believe. Me in ghosts. too. That sounds me so lit. Too. <laughs> me too. But like, it's that for me, like me actually believing ghosts is so slim to none because like i don't know like i remember hearing scary stories when i was like super young and like my you know parents and like my grandmother was like super religious and they told me all these things and i just i i used to be scared i really did i used yeah. to be scared of the dark and and then just one day i was like i've never seen shit maybe they're just i don't know <laughs> like delusional and I mean, it's such a cool concept though like mm -hmm. imagine dying and then just getting your rocks off by scaring people <laughs> in, in the place you died like that that just sounds yeah weird. i mean <laughs> the thing that throws me off about you know ghosts is just that um you know it's just that they're especially like in terms of human forms and things like that like with things with intentionality is that the only thing to me that you know that could ever resemble intentionality you know does uh, necessitated 
uh, a, a very, very high level of neuro, uh, neurophysiological complexity. Sure. Uh, but if you're a disembodied spirit, you don't, <laughs> you don't have just electromagnetic more. fields, man. Just, no, uh, I don't. <laughs> You'd be radiating in some sense, but you're just a pocket uh, of cold air walking around the world. Yeah, yeah no, I don't. It, it, that's the thing is that, like, you know, when you watch these videos, or I'm sorry, not videos, but like documentaries, literally on the Travel Channel, being like, oh, this is an electromagnetic detector. You know, it's like, I know what that means, and I know that that's no way that that could be a thing. So. <laughs> Like, is electromagnetic detector that detects? I mean, it uh, just goes to show that you can you can throw like hoogity boogity bullshit at an audience and they'll they'll right, buy it. Right, right, right. Yeah. If and it sounds vaguely scientific, they'll buy it. Exactly. They're like, oh, this this you know this uh, <laughs> detector detects photons in the visible spectrum. And it's the same reason so many companies <laughs> use the word quantum in their products. That's and... a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess we're gonna leave off on that one. All right. Okay. For tuning in. Wow. Uh, this yeah, has thanks been... for tuning in. I can't see any of you, uh, but thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, this has been Physics After Hours with Inertial Observer with special guest Bobby Knighton. Follow him at, at Knighton underscore Bob on Twitter. Yeah, follow me, do it. Do it, do it. I will retweet. It's a garbage fire. Let's let's do it. <laughs> let's just all let it happen. Okay. Uh, good night to everybody and good morning to everybody in Switzerland. Uh, and remember to stay inertial. Wow.